Thank you very much, Hugh. Uh, thank you, everyone. Uh, it's great to be here. Uh, it's great to see so many friendly faces. Great to have a warm welcome. Great to see someone that I've uh, been with in the past, uh, Graham there at the back. So that was good to see a familiar face. Um, yeah, before I start, I just think there's something, uh, you know, something interesting happened to us on, on our way here. We set the sat nav. We didn't know there were actually two St. John's schools in the area. So we ended up at the, the, other, the other one, and we were kind of there, stuck there, kind of looking, is there an entrance here? How do we go through? How then went back to the website um, and then yeah, navigated again, and we, and we ended up here. And uh, I just feel that um, as, we, as I speak today, there might be someone here who has kind of, you, you, you're in the wrong place. And you know you're in the wrong place. You know, when we got there, we kind of felt that we were in the wrong place. We didn't know, but there was something that kind of said, this can't be the right place. And maybe there's someone here, and maybe in terms of your um, vocation, your calling, you kind of really, you know that you're in the wrong place. And I just feel that God wants you to take that step today and allow him to lead you, allow him to direct you to the right place, to the place where he wants you to be. So um, it's, this is a, a wonderful series, a great series. Uh, well, I went through the book. Thank you, Hugh, for blessing me with the book. Uh, it's a wonderful book on well-being. You know, well-being has become, I guess, an increasingly important topic, especially over the past two years. Um, you know, where I work um, up in London in Canary Wharf at um, City Citibank, um, lots of discussions about well-being, and um, you know, the, the, the our employers are very concerned about our well-being. So now we have things like um, Zoom Free Fridays, just to kind of give people a break from the from the video call on a Friday, and we've brought in and they've brought in hybrid working as well. So I guess understanding the importance of work-life balance. So hybrid working, where most people now going to going to the office maybe three days a week, and then you have two days to spend um, to work from home. So well-being is is really important, and I think the as we're seeing it. Gain, gaining increasing importance, you know, out there in the world, outside of the church. I think it's really important that we kind of see what does God say about well-being as well, because there is a lot in the Word of God that speaks to us as believers about our well-being. And today in particular, I'm going to be talking about vocational um, well-being, you know, what does God say about our vocational well-being. I'm going to take a lot of what I'm going to say today is going to be from um, 1 Kings chapter 19, looking at... Um, uh, a chapter in the life of Elijah. It's a uh, few verses. I'm going to read it. I think it's really important, you know, for us to read the Word of God, and it's I think about 19 or 20 verses. But I just pray that as I read it, that it's going to begin to minister to us as well. And some people will just hear this word and they'll go away saying, "Yes, Lord, you've spoken to me." So um, it's from First Kings um, chapter 19, starting from verse one, and I'm using the CSB, the Christian standard bible so ahab told jezebel everything that elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword so jezebel sent a messenger to elijah saying may the gods punish me and do so severely if i don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow then elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life when he came to beersheba that belonged to judah he left his servant there but he went on a day's journey into the wilderness he sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, get up and eat. Then he looked, 
and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked over hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. And he said, get up and eat or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up and ate and drank. Then on the strength from that food, he walked 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly, the word of the Lord came to him and said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go and stand on the mountain in the Lord's presence. At that moment, the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are to anoint Hazael as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, from Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to bow, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Let's pray. Mighty God, we just thank you, Father, for your word, Lord. And we thank you, Father, because, you know, your word um, written many, many thousands of years ago is as relevant then as it is to us now, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that you are going to speak to us, Lord, from your word today. As we discuss this topic, Lord, vocational well-being, open our eyes, Lord, to just see, you know, what does it mean to have, you know, well-being in our vocation? What is our vocation, mighty God? And I pray, Father, as well, that you will just open our eyes so that we can know how to recover our well-being if we've lost it, Lord, and how to guard our vocational well-being, Lord, so that we can live the fulfilled lives that you've called us to live. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So vocation. And I guess if you want to talk about vocational well-being, maybe the first question that comes to your mind is what is vocation? What, what's, what does it mean? What is vocation? And, you know, these days, vocation tends to be associated with your occupation. So I guess most people, if you ask them what their vocation is, they would talk, they'll, they'll probably give you a reply in line with their occupation. So if, me, if I was most people and you asked me what's my vocation, I'd say, well, my vocation is a software developer because that's my vocation, that's what I do. Um, but, you know, when we talk about vocation from a Christian perspective, and interestingly, that word vocation is a word that started from Christianity. And the word, the Latin meaning of, of, of the word, the root word that it comes from, actually means calling. So when you talk about vocation, you know, vocation is a calling. And it's a calling from God. You know, we don't choose our vocation. 
we don't choose our vocation. You know, it is God who calls. It is God who, as it were, assigns us to a calling and assigns us to a vocation. Um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 17, it says, Let each one live his life in the situation the Lord assigned when the Lord called him. This is what I command in all the churches. So Paul makes two points there. The first, the first thing is that, you know, the Lord has assigned a life for each one of us to live. And the Lord has also given us a calling to live that life. And so that life you've been assigned to live, that calling that you've been given, that is your vocation. That's what God has called you to do. So vocation is more than about a job. It's more than about what you do, maybe nine to five, Monday to Friday. You know, vocation is what God has called you to do in this world, the difference that God has called you to make for him in this world. And vocations differ. So my vocation will be different from your vocation. And interestingly enough, we may be doing similar things, but kind of the expression of those things might be different or probably will be different for each one of us. And we kind of see this a bit um, in, if you look, go back in, in Kings, in the life of Elijah, you come across a man called um, Obadiah. Um, in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 3 and 4, it says, Ahab called for Obadiah, who was in charge of the palace. Obadiah was a man who greatly feared the Lord and took a hundred prophets and hid them, 50 men to a cave, and provided them with food and water when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets. So here we see this man, Obadiah, and he had a vocation, but his vocation was different from Elijah's. You know, Elijah was a prophet to the nation of Israel. But Obadiah, on the other hand, was the man in charge of the king's palace. But then both of these men, in their different ways, in their vocation, were serving the Lord and making a difference in the nation of Israel. So vocations are different. And, you know, knowing that vocations are different, I think maybe the first thing we need to understand about vocational well-being is that we shouldn't compare our vocation with somebody else's vocation. You know, many times we fall into this trap where we kind of feel that, Lord, what you've called him to do, what you've called her to do is far better or maybe more, more spectacular or more interesting than what you've called me to do. But the thing is that, yes, Elijah was the prophet. You know, Elijah was the one who went up to Mount Carmel, slaughtered the prophets of Baal, called fire down from heaven. But his vocation was no more important than that of Obadiah, who hid the prophets, 50 men to a cave, 100 prophets. He hid them, 50 men to a cave, provided them with food and water when Jezebel slaughtered the Lord's prophets. What he was doing there in the palace was just as important as what Elijah was doing up there on Mount Carmel and in the different roles that Elijah played in the nation of Israel. And I think it's really important that as God's people as well, that we kind of move away from this thing where we kind of say that, you know, some roles, some vocations, some callings are spiritual and some callings are secular because the, the, the risk there, and actually going back to where, you know, where the whole vocation started, you know, when vocation started then, or where, where the, the term vocation came up in the Catholic Church, what it meant was the vo people who had a vocation were those who were in ministry. So the priests, the monks, the nuns, they had a vocation. The farmer, uh, the butcher, the plumber, they didn't have a vocation. They just worked. 
They didn't have a vocation. They had no calling. All they did was work. It was those who did spiritual stuff, sacred stuff. They were the ones with vocations. And I think we have to be careful not to fall back into that trap and begin to elevate one vocation above another vocation where we say, yes, some people, their vocation is, is more spiritual because actually maybe they're elders or they stand here in front of the church, they're worship leaders or they're, they're prophetic. And so they have something more spiritual. But actually all I do is I go to work, do my job, and yeah, there's maybe nothing particularly spiritual about that. So you begin to kind of see yourself in a lesser light. And that's not what God uh, wants for his people. Because actually, wherever we are, you know, whether we're here in the church or we're outside in the marketplace, in our families, in our schools, in our universities, you know, we will see everything that we do as being spiritual. Everything we do is spiritual. So when I'm outside in my, in my work, my workplace, um, nine to five, I must see that what I'm doing there is spiritual. I must see that I've been placed in that place to glorify God in that place and to make God known in that place. You know, I have to stop seeing it as more than a place where I go to work, where I earn an income to pay my bills. You know, it's a place where I'm called to show the glory of God. You know, as a parent, I must see that my role in parenting is, you know, it's more than just yeah, yeah, trying to, you know, bring up a child. I am there doing something in the life of that child for the glory of God. You know, if I'm a, a single person as well, you know, if part of my calling, my vocation is as a single person, you know, I must see that in my singleness that I am doing something that ultimately will glorify God. So whatever your vocation, whatever your calling is, and the thing is that your calling can have multiple facets. And if you've read the book, it talks about us having a, an holistic view of our vocation, of our calling. So it, it's expressed in many different spheres of life. So whatever your vocation is, wherever you find yourself, see yourself as being in that place, doing things for God's glory. So let's not kind of separate and say that, yes, when I'm here in church with God's people, I'm doing the spiritual stuff. But when I'm out there at work, I'm no longer doing spiritual stuff. No, we have to see that everything we do is for the glory of God. Put, God puts you in places to make a big difference for him. And, so, and, th and then things like every vocation has a common root. And I think every vocation, the root that we have is ultimately to make God known. You know, to let that light shine before men that they will give glory to our Father in heaven. And, you know, if we go to Matthew 28, you know, Jesus says there that, you know, we should go and make disciples of all nations. So we've got this calling on our lives to make God known. In Acts 1.8, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. You'll be my witnesses in Jer Jer Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So there's this calling on our lives to make God known. But you can only make God known if you know him yourself. So I think fundamental to it is that we need to know God. You know, we need to have that relationship with God. And, and once we do that, then we go out to make God known in the different places, different um, occupations, different areas that God has called us to. So we need to know God and then we need to make him known. And I think those are fundamental roots to our vocational well-being. And then know as well that everything you do ultimately is for the glory of God. 
It is for the glory of God. So in my vocation, it's not for my glory. You know, I'm not doing what I'm doing because I want to become popular. I want to become well-known or I want to make lots of money. I am doing it for the glory of God. And this brings something interesting into it, actually, because the vo- your vocation, your calling might be in a place where you actually don't make an income, where you don't earn anything. But then don't see it at, uh, as any less than someone who is in a place where, yes, they are making money and they are earning income. And let's not, again, let's not have this kind of division and see some vocations as more important than others because of maybe that the impact in terms of finances that those vocations are making. Everything we do is for the glory of God. You know, Paul says in Colossians 3, um, verse, um, I think it's actually verse 17 and then 23 and 24, whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. And whatever you do, it do it from the heart as something done for the Lord and not for people. You know, you don't do things to impress people. You do things for God. Because things like when you're doing things to impress people, of course your well-being is going to be affected. Because if people are impressed, then you'll be on a high. But if people aren't so impressed or criticism comes, then it's going to affect your well-being. But actually, when you know that what I'm doing ultimately is for the glory of God, it puts you in a much, much better place in terms of your vocational well-being. And then God is the source. God is the source. And we have to understand that. You know, when I serve God in my place of calling, when I serve God in my vocation, he is the source. You know, I don't rely on my strength. I rely on his strength. You know, in Isaiah chapter 6, it says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to do things. So God ultimately is the source. You know, we are people, spirit-filled people, and we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. We need to depend on the resources of God as we go about our vocation. You know, Elijah kind of understood this in um, 1 Kings 17.1. He says, as the Lord God of Israel lives in whose presence I stand. You know, Elijah came into his calling as a prophet from the presence of God. You know, do you come into your calling from the presence of God? And that will depend a lot on how you see the things you do. If you see it as just being a secular role in quotes, then of course you may not come to that place from the presence of God. But if you see that you are there to glorify God, to make a difference for him, then you can never make a difference for him if you are not coming from his presence. And we're equipped. God equips us for all of this. Peter says his divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. So God has given you everything required to be able to live for him, to be able to function in your role, in your calling, in your vocation for him. Nothing's left out there. Don't say God has given us something, some of the things we require. It says God has given us everything required. And this is as a result of his divine power. So if I say that I don't have all I require to do the things that God wants me to do, then I might as well say I'm questioning the divine power of God, that I'm questioning the power that brought the universe into existence. I mean, if the power that brought brought the universe into existence cannot help you, then what can help you? 
If we can't tap into that source and make a difference for God in this world, in the roles he's called us into, then what else, what can we tap into? And then when we understand these things, I think, you know, the things that many times we, we read these things, but do we take time to actually understand what God is saying in these things? You know, these are wonderful things that God is saying and blessing us with. And, you know, later on, I think verse 3 and 4 of Peter, you know, God, of um, that first Peter, you know, God goes, second Peter, God goes on to talk about his great and very precious promises. Great and very precious promises that through which we bec- can become partakers of the divine nature. And when you think about that, it's not so much, yes, the great and very precious promises, but what makes them great and very precious It's because of the one who has made the promises. And so how you see God's promises says a lot about how you see God. And how you see God is going to have a big impact on how you see and how you perceive and hold on to and walk into the promises of God. So I think we need to have a right understanding of God for us to have the kind of well-being that God wants us to have in the vocation, the roles, and the callings that God has given us. So we are equipped. So, you know, you know, everything is kind of there, you know, for us to have the well-being, to be able to function effectively in the roles that God has called us to. But then at the same time, there are things that will threaten our vocational well-being. You know, from time to time, we'll get into situations where people, where circumstances will threaten us in that place of vocational well-being. And that's what we see here in the life of Elijah, you know, that we read from in 1 Kings chapter 19. You know, Elijah came to this place where he says, Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed the prophet. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, may the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. So, you know, Jezebel, you know, she brought this threat that basically threatened Elijah's well-being. And it's interesting that you see the um, response of Elijah because we're told that then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. And you might wonder that this is Elijah. This is a man who has just called down fire on Mount Carmel. You know, this is a man who has slaughtered, you know, all these prophets of Baal and who has proved once and for all, you know, before the people on Mount Carmel that God is truly God. You know, this is the man who um, experienced, you know, similar miraculous provision when he stayed with the widow at Zarephath. You know, this is the man who experienced miraculous provision when ravens brought him food. This is a man who raised the widow's son to life. This is a man that was used by great things for God. But, you know, all of this seemed to count for nothing in Elijah's life when Jezebel's threat came. And we're told that immediately Elijah ran for his life. And he didn't just flee. He went as far away he could as possible. We're told that he went to Beersheba. And if you look at a map of um, Israel, Judah at that time, Beersheba was like kind of at the southernmost tip. But then we're told he left his servant at Beersheba and he continued to go into the wilderness. So this was more than Elijah just fleeing. This was almost like Elijah giving up on his vocation. Elijah saying that I don't want to go on. 
giving up on his calling as a prophet to the nation. And the fact of the matter is, is that when you're engaged in what God has called you to do, when you're fruitful in your vocation, the devil will attack. He will attack. And it can hit us like it hit Elijah to the point where we truly feel like giving up. You know, Elijah was full of despair. Elijah felt that he was a failure. And sometimes the attack, like in Elijah's life, can come just after we've had what we would per perceive to be an overwhelming success. You know, it's kind, of it's, it's kind of hard to wrap your head around it that Elijah goes from this experience on Mount Carmel to this point where he's running away because of the threat of Jezebel. And it's pretty much a threat because if Jezebel wanted to, if Jezebel was, I guess, serious about killing him, she, she wouldn't have made a threat. She would have actually, uh, the messenger would have actually gone to execute the task, not make a threat to Elijah saying, this is what I'm going to do to you. It was a threat. But something happened in the life of Elijah. And as we're going to go on to see, you know, he was not in a great place. And that's why this threat impacted him. And it was affected Elijah's well-being in the place of his calling, in the place of his vocation. So then what do we see? I mean, how did Elijah get to this place? And how did Elijah recover from this place? I know for people, for some of us here who might be maybe in a similar place like Elijah, we're maybe in our place of calling, in our vocation, we kind of feel a sense of despair. Or maybe we feel that we failed, Lord. You know, in everything, what you've called me to do, in the thing I'm doing, Lord, I'm not seeing any fruit. I'm not seeing anything happen here, Lord. You know, in my workplace, Lord, I'm not making a difference. Well, actually, Lord, in the life of my children, I'm not seeing the fruit that I want to see in their lives. Or maybe in the community, maybe there's somebody that God has called you to and you've been praying and praying and praying for that person, but then you're not seeing anything, no change happen. You know, maybe in your family, you're the only Christian, the only believer, and you've been praying to see a difference because God has called you to that family and you're not seeing that difference. Then maybe you're in that place where you kind of feel that, Lord, should I go on? Can I go on? Why should I go on, Lord? Because I'm not seeing the things that I want to see. And I think the first thing in recovering and guarding our vocational well-being is to keep our focus on God. Never take your eyes off him. You know, and we see that a bit in here in Elijah. You know, Elijah says that I've had enough, Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my ancestors. I'm no better than my fathers. Now the question is, had God called Elijah to be better than his fathers? No. All God had done was call Elijah to be a prophet, to be obedient to the call that he gave him in the life of the nation of Israel. And Elijah reiterates it again when he says, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant torn down altars and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left and they're looking for me to take my life. So the thing is that Elijah, his focus seems to have shifted. You know, he was expecting to see certain results. And you can see it in that text there. So the results he expected were that the Israelites would come back to the covenant. The Israelites would build up. They would restore the altars. You know, they would stop killing the prophets. 
And actually, he wouldn't be the only one left. There would be many others with him, and they wouldn't be looking to take his life. Probably he would be fated as the man who had brought revival and restoration to the nation of Israel. So, you know, Elijah did not get the results that he expected. He probably felt that this would be a time of great revival in Israel. And he probably saw the nation as being in a worse state than when he started his ministry. So he felt that, Lord, I failed because actually this thing seems to be worse now than when I actually started. And so we can get to that place where we begin to look to results after our own understanding rather than seeing things how God sees them. And it's really important in recovering and guarding our well-being that we see things the way God sees them. We see them from his eyes, from his perspective. And things that many times, and, and it's not easy, because many times, you know, we are human beings. We are in time. We live in time. And so we see things that are happening here and now, and we evaluate things based on what is happening here and now. But actually, God is evaluating things based on eternity. And I think we need to begin to look at things and evaluate things based on eternity. You know, in Second Peter 1, I think verse 9, um, you know, p- Peter says to the people there, don't be nearsighted. You know, I'm, I'm nearsighted. That's why I've got <laughs> the glasses on. He says, don't be nearsighted. Don't live just for the here and the now. You know, live for something bigger. Live for something greater. You know, live for eternity. Have eternity in view. Because how you perceive eternity determines how you live your life now. In terms of your your vocation, how you see eternity determines how you perform and function in your vocation now. So the first thing, we have to keep our focus on God. The second thing is, I think, wonderful thing here is that God cares about our well-being. You know, sometimes we probably wonder that, does God really care about what's going on in my life? Does God care that actually things aren't going right in the things I'm doing, maybe in my family and community, in my workplace? But the thing is that God does care. And we see that in the life of Elijah. You know, when God comes to him or when he has the encounter, we're told that the angel touches him and says, get up and eat. You know, God cared about the fact that his prophet was physically exhausted. And that explains a lot about what was going on with Elijah. Because he was kind of assessing things from a place of physical exhaustion and probably not seeing things the way he ought to see them. So the first thing that God does is not try to, I guess, fix things with Elijah as maybe some of us may have wanted to do. The first thing he does is that he cares for his servant because God cares about our well-being. And I feel that God wants somebody to know today that God cares about your well-being. He sees you in that situation that you're in. God sees, God knows, God cares. And he wants you to remember that. And then, you know, God cares about our well-being and he sees the need for rest. Elijah needed to rest. He needed to eat. He needed to recover his energy, recover his strength. And for many of us, we need to know that we need to take time out to rest. We need to take time out to rest. You know, sometimes we get so caught up in the busyness of life. And busyness is a bad thing. I mean, well, it's not, well not, maybe not a bad thing. It's good to be busy, but 
you know, don't get so busy that you don't take time out to rest. And rest comes in different forms. I mean, even during your day, you know, take a few minutes out from time to time to just take a break, to rest, to pray, to get to just be refreshed in the presence of God. If you're at work, it might just be buying your head down at your desk or maybe going for a walk at lunchtime and just getting refreshed again in his presence. No, it's really important to take Sabbath rest. I mean, God gave us Sabbaths for a reason. It's a time to rest. It's a time to worship. It's a time to be refreshed in his presence so we can continue, go on to do the things that God has called us to do. Take vacations. Take holidays. Take time out from everything just to, to kind of spend time and refresh yourself again. It is really, really important. You know, there was um, when I, I, was, I think three years ago, or four, four or five years ago, I, I left my job because um, uh, my wife and I, we started a business. And so I took time out from work to um, support her and st- support her in starting off that business. Then after a while, I went back to work again about three years ago. But then what I realized then was that it was going to be a struggle for me, you know, doing a, a full-time job. I'm also an elder in, in, in the church. And I realized, so I went back to work just four days a week because I realized that actually I needed to have that one extra day to rest, to refresh, and to recover. And uh, most of that, that, that day, the day that I don't work is Friday, and it's a time that myself and um, Ade usually spend time praying together, fasting together, waiting on God together. And it, it's refreshing to be able to do that. And so get back on Monday, back to um, the, the job, and you know, it's, it's different. So taking time to rest is really important, and that's what you know, happened here in the life of Elijah. And then sometimes we need to n- ask ourselves, what next, God? And you know, Elijah kind of felt that after what's happened on Mount Carmel, if these people aren't going to change, then what hope is there? And sometimes we need to be asking ourselves, Lord, what is the next thing that you want me to do in terms of my vocation? You know, in the book, uh, it talks the story about Eric Liddell, if you've watched Chariots of Fire. I know he started out as, as an athlete, and you know, he, he served God well in that role as an athlete. I mean, I don't know that many people that would say they would give up the, the, the opportunity to be known as the fastest man in the world because they would not want to run a race on a Sunday. But he did that, and in doing that, he glorified God. But then the next thing for him was that he realized that actually it wasn't going to end here in athletics. It was actually actually went on to become a missionary in China. So we should always be asking ourselves that, Lord, what next? You know, in terms of what I'm doing, Lord, what next? What's the next thing you want me to do, Lord? Because sometimes you might feel that you've hit a dead end. And I kind of feel maybe Elijah felt he had hit a dead end and there was he didn't see What could happen after that? And so he says, and so we need to ask ourselves, what next, God? And then God tells him, God says, return by the way you came. And I think God is saying as well to him, not just return by the route, the path you took to this place, but actually go back to what I called you to do. Go back, Elijah, to what I called you to do because you're not done yet. Then he says, anoint Hazael as king over Aram. Anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king of Israel, and Elisha, son of Shaphat, as prophet in your place. And so God is saying that 
Lord, you know what, Elijah? I've not forgotten. I see all these things. And if you read on in Kings, you realize that these three men played crucial roles in bringing justice to the house of Ahab. So God was saying that I've seen this, Elijah, and it's all part in, in my plan, and I am going to make good on this. But I think importantly there is that I think God is also telling Elijah that you need to prepare the next generation. You need to prepare those who are going to come after you and continue the work, especially Elisha, who became prophet in his place. I know for some of us, we might have got to that stage in life where it's time to start preparing the next generation. It's time to start preparing those who will come after us. Because for some of us, what affects our well-being is the fear of what's going to happen when I'm gone, Lord. It's like, Lord, what happens when I'm no longer able to do these things that I'm doing? And I think when I, when I was preparing for this, that's something that God really spoke to me about. Because, um, you know, I'm part of Community Church Trafford 100, but I'm the, like, the, uh, I look after one of our sites in South Ockenden. And one of the things that constantly plagues me is that, Lord, if I'm not here, What's going to happen? Because most Sundays, it's, my, it's, it's quite small. Most Sundays, it's myself, my wife, my boys. We are the ones who do uh, almost everything there. And I'm constantly living with this fear that, Lord, if I have to go somewhere else or if we have to go on a holiday, then what's going to happen? And for a lo long while, that kind of held me in bondage that, you know, we can't even afford to go on holiday because if we do, what's going to happen to this place? And then, you know, this really spoke to me that, you know, you need to prepare people, prepare people who will be able to, to step up, prepare the next generation, prepare those who can step in when you're not there. Because you don't have to do everything. And God surrounds us with people. He surrounds us with a support system. But are we reaching out to them? You know, Elijah felt that he was the only one. He said to the Lord that I alone am left. But God reminded him that actually there's 7,000 other people who have not bowed their feet to Baal. So you are not alone. And so we have to recognize that we are not alone. You know, we have brothers and sisters around us that God has placed there to help us, support us, to encourage us as we go, as we pursue our vocation and our calling. So let's, no, let's not do things on our own. And the wonderful thing I like about New Frontiers is that God places us in team. And we are in team for a reason. You know, you have a team of elders. It's for a reason so that there can be that mutual support. And everywhere we go, you know, we should be looking to build team, to, to encourage one another, to support one another, and to pray for one another. So, you know, it's really, really important that I think if we take hold of these things, you know, keep our focus on God, recognize that he cares about our well-being, then recognize the need for rest. You know, don't get so busy that you cannot hear what God is saying. You know, think about Moses. You know, Moses was keeping the sheep. He was basically doing his job. But then before God could speak to him, Moses had to turn aside and look at the burning bush. You know, the bush was there, it was burning, but God didn't speak until Moses turned aside. So don't to be too busy that when God is trying to get your attention, that you're too busy to turn aside and see what God is doing and see what God is saying and see the next steps, the next path that God wants to lead you to. You know, what next, God? Think about preparing the next generation and also recognize the fact that you're not alone.
And I think that as we take these things on board, you know, that we will enjoy the vocational well-being that God really wants us to have. You know, when God placed Adam in the garden, he gave him a vocation. He told him to tend the garden, to work the garden. And he also told him to be fruitful, multiply, and have dominion over the earth. Then the fall came. Then work became a toil. But then Jesus comes, and he brings about restoration. So Jesus wants us to have fulfillment in our vocation. It shouldn't be a toil. We shouldn't toil in the things that God has called us to do. Yes, there may be hardships as we go about it. We may face persecution. We may face struggles. But it shouldn't be a toil. You know, we should work from a place of peace. Work from a place of people who are filled with the Spirit of God. And are resting in the Spirit of God. To do the things that they're called to do by the Spirit of God. And I want to encourage us to guard our well-being diligently. It's not a passive thing. Don't sit back and expect that your well-being is going to be guarded and protected. You need to work at it. You need to be diligent about it. But diligent about it, knowing that you are empowered by the Holy Spirit to do it. So it's not self-effort. It's spirit-led effort. And there will be pressures from within, without. You will face pressures. People, circumstances that will threaten your well-being. But remember to guard against them. I mean, remember to guard your well-being. And as, I, as we do, I, know I believe that God, in our different vocations, different areas that God has called us to, to serve, to bless, to make a difference for people, that we will, each one of us here, will make a powerful difference for him. Each one of us. And, you know, we'll make his name famous in this church, in our families, places of education, in our communities, every facet of life that we're involved in. We're going to make his name known. We're going to make his name famous. And just feel, um, maybe you're here and you don't know Christ. All of this starts from knowing Christ. You can't enjoy well-being in your vocation. You can't recover or guard your well-being if you don't know Jesus. So if you are here and you don't know Jesus, then please, please, please take that step today. Can you talk to one of the leaders and take that step today? Let's pray. Jesus. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you and bless you for this morning, Lord. Um, you know, we do thank you, Lord, for the fact that you're the one who has called us, Lord. You know, you've called us, you've chosen us, Lord. You've assigned us a, a life to live for you, mighty God. And I pray, Father, in the calling that you've called us, in the vocation that you've given us, each one of us assigned to us, Lord. You know, I pray that we will be effective, Lord. You know, I pray, Father, that we will be passionate, we will be fulfilled, Lord. You know, I pray, Lord, that we will be diligent in guarding the well-being that you want us to have, the well-being that you've given us, mighty God. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here, Lord, that, you know, maybe they're not in a good place, Lord, regarding their vocational well-being, Lord. And I just pray, Father, that as they meditate on these words, Lord, that they will 
by the power of the Holy Spirit, recover the well-being that you want them to have, mighty God. And like I said at the very beginning, Lord, you know, perhaps there is someone here, Lord, who knows that they're not in the right place, Lord. They know that where they're, the place that they're at, it looks like the right place, but something inside of them says that this is not where you want me to be, Lord. I just pray that they will listen to you this morning, Holy Spirit, and make that change, you know, kind of change course to go to where it is that you want them to be. You know, Lord, we, we just thank you because you are such a wonderful God. We thank you, Holy Spirit. We give you praise. We give you praise. And I just pray that we will just always remain in your presence. Listen to what you're saying, Holy Spirit. You know, listen to you, Holy Spirit. Because there's so much, I believe, that you want to do through us. So much that you want to do through us to make a difference and to shine a light for you. So have your way, mighty God. Be glorified, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name.